text tonight, and I'm going to try to do something like I said I don't normally do, and uh, I'm going to finish the sermon that I started this morning, and Acts chapter number 2, and I'm excited about uh, the, the, what the Lord is doing, and I want to remind you when you open the Bible, these are real stories, these are real people, and God is really moving. And I was talking to Brother Joe, and he mentioned to me about some people call the, uh, the acts the explosion of the gospel. And you're seeing the church really begin to bloom. If you find your place, Acts chapter number two, and verse number one, the Bible says this, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were, they were all with one accord in one place. And this morning, I'll remind you that I emphasized really uh, the thought about the preparation for Pentecost. And when you get to this portion in Scripture, now look, things are happening. We had Easter Sunday. We rejoiced in Easter Sunday. I said, man, Easter was wonderful. We had people here and people I'd never seen before. Some of them I ain't seen since, but that's another message. And everybody's saying, man, Jesus is alive. But if you read the story, he is resurrected and then he's being seen of the brethren for 40 days and some as many as 500 at once and we have those stories about him showing up and Thomas not not there one week and then Thomas was there and Thomas said okay now I believe and and he shows up to the apostle Peter and those uh, that individual appearance and, and then in Acts chapter number one you have the story of the ascension he's being taken up and they're watching this and Jesus, the angels, tells uh, those to go to Jerusalem and wait to be endued with power. And so here they're waiting in the upper room. And we looked at that this morning as we think about the feast and the preparation of the people. And uh, you find in Acts chapter number 2, a wonderful thing is happening. The Spirit of God is working. Now, I don't want that to scare you. Say, Brother Mark, we're, we're a Baptist church we don't talk about the Spirit of God and the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit. Well, I'll remind you that there are three that bear record in heaven, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. You find in Acts chapter number two that the Spirit of God, he comes and he baptizes the believers and he fills them and, uh, and he speaks in a special way here. He empowers Peter to preach and, and he brings conviction by the word of God and the preaching of the word of God. All those things that he does, and let me say this to you, that's what we need today is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God in our churches I want you to stay with me for just a little bit and notice the second thing. I, I gave you point number one. If you're keeping the outline, point number one this morning was the preparation for the day of Pentecost. Number two, notice the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit. Some people have mistaken this notion of the, the Spirit of God, and we'll look at a few things here, but in, in verse number two it says this, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a, 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 heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house and where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it, it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together. Now, I want you to set the scene here and don't mistake what's going on here. So you find here in verse number two and three that the, the Spirit of God is moving. 
And the Spirit of God, by the way, has always been active in the work of God. You go back in Genesis chapter number one, and the Bible says the Spirit of God moved upon the deep, and, and you find in creation the Spirit of God was there. You can read Old Testament accounts of Old Testament prophets and Old Testament judges as the Spirit of God would come upon them. We know about Samson, and he wist not that the Spirit of God had departed from him. And so we read about accounts in the Old Testament where the Spirit of God came upon those for a time, and, and then that left them, even in the New Testament, we find that early in the gospel records as the Spirit of God would come and, and it would leave. So the Spirit of God was active. But then we're finding something different happening here. Now we're going to find the, the Spirit of God. Two things I want to remind you that is different now. First of all, the Spirit of God is going to dwell believers and dwell them and fill them. And the Spirit of God is going to baptize them into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is all happening. So you have here from the, the crucifixion and you have the resurrection and you have the ascension. And now you have the Spirit of God being poured out on the believers you say, Brother Mark, what in the world does the world need today? The world needs today the same thing I need in Acts chapter number two. The world needs spirit-filled believers doing the work of God. You look here, it says this, and they, you find in Acts chapter number two and verse two and three that the, this, there's three signs you see here. I don't want to get too far into it, but you, you find the, sign, the sound of the mighty rushing wind. You hear the wind blow every now and then. It was blowing long enough here and they, they tell us in verse two that this house might have been a reference to the temple where they were worshiping in the same type of word used to it. But it says this, it says that the, it spoke so, it was blowing so long that in verse number six, it was noised abroad that the multitude came together. And they were confounded, so they're watching this event happen, the mighty rushing wind, the, the cloven tongues of fire that is visible. Of course, James reminds us that the tongue can be a flaming fire. And old G. Campbell Morgan said it this way, the tongue can be set on fire from heaven or from hell, but it is a mighty powerful instrument. And you find here in, in, in Acts chapter number two, this spirit happening. Now hold your place here and I'll remind you what Jesus said about the spirit of God. Just write down the references, John chapter 14. John chapter number 14, it, it reminds us in verse 16, he said, I will pray the father that he give you another comforter. That notice this, that he may abide with you forever. He goes on, he says this, even the spirit of truth whom the world can notice this, please don't miss this, the world, because we're gonna come back to this point in a minute, the world cannot receive. You say, what does that mean? Real simple, the spirit of God does not move into unbelievers' lives. He says, because it seeth him not, nor neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So everything that Jesus promised in John 14 said, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you comfortless. There's going to be a spirit of God. He's gonna come and he's gonna dwell in you. In verse 18, he said, I'll not leave you comfortless. Chapter 16 of John said it this way. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, notice this, I will send him unto you. <laughs> now it's getting, I, I don't, I, I get so excited. I can't hardly stand it. As I said this morning, he gets gooder and gooder. You say, what's happening? Jesus told his disciples, says, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you a comforter. 
And he's going to dwell in you. He's going to be with you. And he's going to be with you forever. And then in John chapter number 16, he said this. He says, it's necessary that I go away. Now listen to this. Because when I leave, I'm sending him back to you. And you say, what does that mean? That means what we read in Acts chapter number two really, really, really happened. Amazing events about to happen. But that also means that he's at the Father and he sent the Spirit back to us. You say, what does that mean? That means he's alive and all is well. You think about the Spirit of God coming and I, you say, I don't fully understand everything that happened in Acts chapter number two. I don't fully understand everything that happened in Acts chapter two either, but I do know this. Jesus said if he left, he'd send his Spirit. And I do know in Acts chapter number two, the Spirit of God showed up. You read on in Acts chapter number two, notice a few things and you find here in verse number four, please don't miss this. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. So this time, the, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in them. We all understand the concept of filling. If I'm going to fill my gas can for my lawnmower, I'm not putting the gas on the outside. That's not filling. Filling it is putting it on the inside, right? And he promised in John 14 and John 16 that we, the Spirit of God would be in them, not come upon them or rest upon them or, or, or like it was in the Old Testament. Now the Spirit of God, he said, and he's, he filled them. If you go back a, ver, a chapter in chapter number one and verse number five, Jesus had just told them, he, he had just told them in his word that he said, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So here the Spirit said, here the Spirit of God said in the Word of God that John had, had he had baptized as he had dipped, as they'd been identified with the Lord Jesus Christ, as they'd been identified with John's the gospel of repentance, they'd been identified that way. He said, in just a few days, the Spirit of God is going to baptize you, is going to fill you, and you're going to be identified now with the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what is happening? In Acts chapter number two, the Spirit of God fills the believers. The Spirit of God baptizes the believers into the body of Christ. It's a miraculous thing to think that we are his and he is ours. I want to remind you of this, and we're going to walk through this passage together in just a moment, but the feeling of the Spirit of God is the power for witnessing and the power for service. We can't do what God has called us to do without his feeling. But let me say this to you. The baptism of the Spirit of God is something that he does that we cannot do. As a matter of fact, if you study your passage of Scripture, you'll never find us to be commanded to be baptized by the Spirit. You will find in Ephesians chapter number five and verse number 18, we'll get there in just a little while, that we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, where's it exists, but be ye filled with the Spirit because the baptism of the Spirit of God is something that God does at the moment of salvation. And all God's people said, you say, show me that, I will in just a minute. I'm glad you asked. So here's what's happening. They'd been in the upper room at 10-day prayer meeting and the Spirit of God showed up just like he promised. And God always shows up just like he promised. And you say, man, what's about to happen? It's amazing what's about to happen. I like what Warren Wearsby said about the difference between the baptism and the fullness of the Spirit of God. He said this, the baptism of the Spirit means that I belong to his body. The fullness of the Spirit means that my body belongs to him. The fullness of the Spirit of God has more to do about control than it does content. I like what a preacher said, and don't miss this. He said, I've got all the Spirit of God I'm ever gonna get, but I hope he doesn't have all of me that he's ever gonna get. 
It has to do about yielding to him and allowing him to be controlling our life. You say, why are we not filled with the spirit of God? Because we're filled with the spirit of selfishness. We're filled with the fear of the spirit of ungratitude. We're filled, filled with the spirit of unforgiveness. And those things crowd out the spirit of almighty God. You find what's happening. Acts chapter number two, stay with me. You say, what happened in Acts chapter two? Notice in verse number five. Mark in verse number four, by the way, the word tongues. We'll come back to that in just a minute. He said, they began to speak with other tongues. Don't let that scare you. As the Spirit gave them utterance. And it says, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. So all the nations are there, right? And verse number six says, now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language, underline that word language. So you hear this mighty rushing wind comes, the cloven tongue, you say, was that supernatural? That was supernatural. By the way, the cloven tongues of fire never happened again that we know or that we read anything about in scripture. But here it says this, that the, every nation was there. They heard them speak in their own language. Look in verse seven. It says, and they were all amazed and marvel, saying one, to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galatians? So aren't these all from the same region of the country? Don't these all know the same language? Aren't these all people that speak English language? Aren't these the ones that that's what they know or use English language? They were speaking Aramaic, but anyway, I'll use English as understanding. So when you go somewhere, you have ever been to a third, third, third world country, another part of the world? And you, you hear somebody speak and, and you know that they're not from here. I, I was in a restaurant. All my illustrations begin with that. I was in a restaurant. I was in a restaurant the other day and the lady beside me in the table beside me, I could tell she had a very heavy German accent. She was speaking English, but I could tell she had a, and that, that dialect, I could hear it. I could just say, man, and you know, and I looked at the person that I was eating with and, and talking to, and we looked at each other and just kind of smiled because we understood that this was not her native language. Now, you see, what's happening is in verse number seven, they're shocked. They said, man, we're just amazed. Every one of us hear him speak in our own language. Look at verse number eight. It said, how hear we ever man in our own tongue? Underline the word tongue, wherein we were born. So all the nations are there, Right? Bible said every nation was represented. As a matter of fact, in verse number nine, it says, gives us a list of the nations there. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontius and Asia and Perga and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya about Cyrene and the strangers of Rome and Jews and proselytes and Cretes and Arabians. Notice this, who do hear them speak, notice this, in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Now I want you to understand the miracle of Pentecost was not some spooky event in the sense of some mystical language. What you find if you, if you study this passage of scripture, what you find in, in verse number five, you find the, or verse number four, you find the word tongues. Verse number five, you have the word nations. Verse number six, you have the word language. 
Verse number 7, you hear them speak. Verse number 8, you have the word tongue. Verse number 11, you have the words our tongue. And what you find is that word that is translated in our Bible tongue, it very simply is the word dialect. It means from a country or a region. If you go to Acts 21 and Acts 22, it says that the apostle Paul, when he's giving his defense, they said this, the Bible says it this way, he spoke in the Hebrew tongue. So what happens here is at least 15 different regions of the country or the world were there and these men from Galilee were standing up unlearned, we'll find unlearned, ignorant men, did not, were not studies of other language and God gave them the gift of tongues and what were the tongues? The tongues were them speaking in a language they did not know the wonderful works of God. You can study that word dialect for yourself and as I said to you, you can find it They were perplexed. They were amazed. They were like shocked. They said, how can we understand what they're saying? Say, what's going on here? What what meaneth thee, these things? Don't let Acts chapter two scare you, but you find this. What you find here is they were praising God in known languages. In verse number 12, it says it very simply said this, we all heard, we all heard, in verse, I'm sorry, verse number 11, we all heard him speak the wonderful works of God. They were perplexed, amazed, and marveled when the Spirit of God came. Let me say this to you, and I'm not being littling and I'm not making fun of, but the Spirit of God did not come here and somebody bark on the like a dog and roll around in the floor and laugh hysterically, uncontrollably, speak some heavenly jibber-jabber. That's not what you find in Acts chapter number two. What you find is the cloven tongues of fire. Oh yeah, they were real. And the spirit of God filled the believers. And what did they do? They spoke the wonderful works of God. What was the miracle in Acts chapter number two? They spoke a known language that they did not know to the nations that were there represented. You say, what's the purpose? The purpose is this, the, t- the curse of the Tower of Babel is gone. But let me say it to you this way. The point of Acts chapter number two is this. God is now saying that the wonderful works of God. It's not just for the nation of Israel. It's not just for the Jewish people. It's not just for one tribe or or one sect of people. Now what has happened, what Lord Jesus Christ has done, being crucified and being risen and being ascended on high, now that story is to be known to all nations. Man, that's powerful. God took a common fisherman. God took some ordinary people Filled them with the Spirit of God. You say, what they do? They praised God. They spoke. With later, you'll find them speaking with boldness, and you find here the power of God. You find the analogy, and, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you find the analogy in verse number thirteen. It said, "These uh, some said these men are full of new wine." You say, what are they saying? They're saying they're drunk. They're they're full of strong drink. Something's come over them. And I'll remind you that that's a bad analogy here because being filled with strong drink is a sign of loss of control and it ends in shame. But being filled with the Spirit of God is a gain of self-control and God controlling our minds and God controlling our words and it ends with the glory of God. See, Acts chapter number two, an amazing thing happened. Jesus had gone 
But for the first time, look, it says this, they were all filled with the Spirit of God. That means every believer was baptized in the body of Christ and filled with the Spirit of God. And they testified about the goodness of Almighty God. That's an amazing story. You say, you believe it happened? I believe it happened just like it said it happened. You find here, not only do you find the power of God and the power of the Spirit of God, but look very quickly, you find the preaching of the Apostle Peter. I like in verse number 14, it says, but Peter, standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice, and he said, ye men of Judea and all you that dwell in Jerusalem, be this, be this known unto you and hearken unto my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. Uh, there's no way at this time in the morning these men are drunk. It's just nine o'clock in the morning. He said, but this was which was spoken of by Joel the prophet. And it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit. God said, I'll pour out my spirit upon the flesh. And you can read the prophecy about the, what will happen. And in verse 20, it ends with the smoke or the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood and, uh, before the great and noble day of the Lord. And you say, is this a sign that Joel's prophet has been fulfilled? No, Joel's prophecy has not been completely fulfilled. But what he's saying is this, this is the dawning of the end of God's purpose for this world. The spirit of God that Joel spoke about, it's here. All these events are beginning to take place. And so what we're living is, is we're living in the last days. And the last days doesn't mean 1990 or 2020 or 1970 or whatever time you put in it. The last days is when the Spirit of God now is dwelling believers. And now we're headed toward the day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment and the day of God's return. And he gets up and he's preaching, said that day's coming. Just like Joel told you, it's about to, it's coming. And he goes on preaching. <laughs> Look, by the way, like any good preacher, he stops in verse 21 and gives a little invitation in the middle of his message. He said, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. <laughs> you say whosoever, whosoever. You can't give the gospel to the wrong person. Jesus didn't die for a select few. He died for whosoever. The Bible says he tasted death for every man. He, tasted the, he paid the sin debt of every man. And, the, and, and Peter stands up filled with the spirit of God, not speaking in some unknown tongue. They tell us probably speaking in Arabic, or Arabic because he was speaking to the Jews. Aramaic, there we go. I'll get that word right in a minute. Aramaic, and he's speaking to the Jews. And here he, he says, remind you that whosoever... That was a shock to the Jews. You mean everybody's now part of it? He said, everybody's now part of it. He goes on preaching. Now, it gets real good. Anytime you get preaching about Jesus, it gets real good. Look in verse number 22. He said, ye men of Israel. I can hear him screaming just a little bit. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. You mean the, the man we all know that really did exist? <laughs> The one many of us met, the one some, the one some of us said, hi, he's just a carpenter. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He says, this Jesus of Nazareth, a man, notice this, approved of God among you by miracles and wonders. And so I said, you've seen him. You saw what he did, which, which God did by him in the midst of you all, as you yourselves, you also know, said, you've seen it. He says in verse 23, him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain him. 
Boy, that's pretty straightforward. Look at my face said, now this is Jesus of Nazareth. You watched him do his miracles. You know he came from God. And you wicked sinners, you crucified him. So man, that wouldn't make for a good, very good Sunday morning sermon. That's Sunday morning, Acts chapter number two. And he reaches on and reads on and he says this in verse number 24. He said, but it doesn't stop there. Notice verse 23 is not a, not a period. There's a, there's a colon in your Bible. It says this, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pain, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. You say, what's verse 24 mean? The pains of death is the same word we use for labor pains. You say, what happened? He said, look, you put him in death and you crucified him, but death had no hold on him. It couldn't do anything with him. And he, the, the, he turned the tomb into a womb and he became the first fruits of the resurrection and he's alive forevermore. Said, you crucified him, but let me just tell you, he's alive. He goes on and makes an Old Testament reference to, to David. I believe it's Psalm 16. He said this, he said, and David's, Speaking concerning him, saying, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, and that I shall not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. You see what he says here? He says the he won't stay with the dead. He will not suffer corruption. He will not die death and stay dead. And then he says in verse number 28, he says, thou hast made known to me the ways of life and thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and his scepter is among us unto this day. So he says real simple, David wasn't talking about himself. He says, therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruits of his loin, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. He says, this is who David was talking about. The one that we know, our patriarch, this was the Messiah. This was Christ. This was the anointed one. This is exactly who he's talking about. And then you find in verse number 32, he said, not only do we give you your witness, you know this to be true about, day, about the Lord. He was a person. He really lived and he did many wonderful works. And not only do we have David's testimony, he says, but in verse 32, he said, we got our own testimony. Notice, I love it, this Jesus. If you mark those things in your Bible, circle the word this Jesus. And in verse 22, circle the word Jesus of Nazareth. In verse 36, circle that same Jesus. We'll get there in just a minute. He said, this Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we're all witnesses. <laughs> you know, there's 120 in the upper room, but they tell us, First uh, Corinthians tells us that he was seen in 500 brethren. And so now Peter gets up and he's preaching and he says, now we know what David said about him. We know he's been risen from the dead, but let me just say you, we, every one of us that you're amazed and perplexed by, said we've all seen him. <laughs> you mean we've seen him as he's proven himself to be alive. And he gives evidence of his own personal testimony about what Jesus has done. 
He says in verse 33, therefore being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. He said, he said he'd go and said when he got there, he'd send back the comforter. He said, it's happened. For David has not ascended into the heavens, but he hath himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit down until on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Then he says in verse 36, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now this preaching is about to get real personal. He's preaching and he says, now this is Jesus, you know who he is and it's what David said about the Messiah and by the way, what David said, that's who this is. And don't forget, we've all seen him. And now he says, now the house of Israel, here's the thing. He says, you have to decide for yourself. Is he both Lord and Christ to you? It's getting real personal. You say, what happened? Look in verse number 36. Now, let me give you a third thing quickly. This is my last point. You find not only the power of Christ and the preaching of Peter, but you find the pricking of their heart. Look very quickly. It says in verse 36, he says, you've crucified him, but he's both Lord and Christ. And then notice this. And now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And that little word pricked in the heart, it's not just the idea of anger, but it carries with it the idea of conviction. We use the term now, says, well, that, the old time conviction, you say old time conviction, look, preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done and, and, and the judgment day, those things still bring conviction and men have to decide what they're going to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. They said, what are we going to do? In verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now notice this, he says, now you want what they've got? Say, there's one place to find it. You can repent, the Bible says here, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. You say, you want what they have? It's, it's through this idea of repentance and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and then giving proof to it just like they've been baptized in the body of Christ. Now you can be baptized by water baptism and it pictures this for you. And you find not only here this baptism, but this baptism is into the body of Christ. I want you to hold your place here. Go with me later in the book of Acts. I want to teach you something. And when you read in the Bible, don't get confused between water baptism and spirit baptism. They are different. Being baptized in the body of Christ is something that Christ does. It's not something we do ourselves. Getting baptized in the water does not baptize you into the body of Christ. That's something the Spirit of God does. You find in, in Peter's sermons, Acts chapter number three, Acts chapter number five, and again in Acts chapter number 10, the apostle Peter never mentions baptism again. Earlier in that passage as he's preaching, he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't miss this idea. He, he did not teach that you have to be saved and be baptized to be part of the body of Christ. He did not teach that. In Acts chapter number 10, he's preaching to Cornelius. 
And he talks in verse number 40 about how God raised him from the dead. Acts chapter number 10, find your place there. And he says in verse number 43, Acts 10, 43, to him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remissions of sins. So how do we get remission of sins? By simply believing in him. Then it says in verse number 44, while Peter yet spake of these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word. So now the Gentiles are getting in on what the Jews have already gotten in on. So they trusted Christ their Savior and while Peter's still discipling them, if we want to use that term, the Holy Ghost fell on them. And look on, it says in verse number 45, it says, they are the circumcision which believe were astonished and as many came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnifying God and then answered Peter. Notice this, could any man forbid water? Wait just a second. You mean the Spirit of God fell on the believers before they were baptized? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And it happened and the Spirit of God baptized them into the body of Christ. And now they said, well, we gotta get the water baptism. It says, and then they said, can any man forbade with these which should not be baptized? And then it goes on and says, which have, notice this, have received the Holy Ghost as well as you. Said they're already into the family of God. And he commanded them be baptized in the name of George, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they prayed they him to tarry many days. Write this reference down, Galatians 3. Just write it down. I'll, I'll read it to you. Verse 2 and verse number 16. I'm sorry, verse 14. Verse two says it this way, this only what I learn of you, receive you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Again, in verse number 14, that the blessings of Abraham might come on you, the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. So you want to be baptized from power on high? You, you want the filling of the Spirit of God? How do we get that? We get that through faith and repentance and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way it came. It came in Cornelius' house before they ever got to the water. It happened here on the day of Pentecost. They said, you want to be baptized like they've been baptized by the Spirit? He said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you notice this, for the remission of your sins. You say, why did he say that? Well, I want to remind you that little word for means very simply on the account of or on the basis of. Let me give you a simple illustration. If Brother Greg, this is just a simple illustration, but I, I think it'll help you. You notice Brother Greg always sits right here, right? And I always sit right there. Now, I want to ask you a question. We'd say, well, that chair is for the pastor. Now, does sitting in that chair make me the pastor? Or that chair just happens to be for the pastor? You say, well, then you use an illustration of a crown. You say, well, that crown is for the king. Is it on the account he's the king or does the crown make him the king? Don't let the use of this word here fool you. The Bible never teaches that you have to be saved and be baptized for the remission of your sins. This says because of the evidence of your remission of your sin, that's why you get baptized. 
He says, you won't be baptized from the power on high. He says, then repent and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn away from your sins. Believe what you said. You, by the way, repentance is the idea of a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And the children of Israel at this point, they had thought the wrong things about who Christ was. Peter stood up and preached, said, no, this is the Messiah, just like David said, and we've seen him, you crucified him, but this is the anointed one. And they said, you're right. What do we have to do? said you got to repent <laughs> and be baptized on the account of the remission of your sins I give you this one last footnote Ephesians chapter number 5 Ephesians chapter number 5 you say brother Mark I, I appreciate the historical account and the teaching I, I think I have a better understanding of what happened in Acts chapter number 2 I hope you do if you have questions about it, I'll be glad to try to answer your questions. We'll look next time at the end of Acts chapter number two and the beginning of Acts chapter number three on the power of changed lives. Jesus showed up in that church. He changed their lives. and He changed the lives of those they witnessed to. Ephesians chapter number five and verse number eight, I quoted it to you a moment ago. And be not drunk with wine where it is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, before we say this right here in our minds, say, well, what happened in Acts chapter number two? It, it may not happen again. This is not a full teaching on the, on the gift of tongues. If you, if you read on in the Bible, the Bible teaches that those were temporary sign gifts. And that which is, when that which is perfect or complete is done, then those which are in part shall be done away with. And, and we know those temporary sign gifts are, are done. We know later in the book of Acts, uh, the apostle Peter and those men couldn't even heal the people that they could in the beginning of the book of Acts. But you find here a command to the New Testament Christian, look, be filled with the Spirit of God. I give you this personal application and I'm done. We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit of God. You say, why? Because if you go on down through there, it talks about husbands and wives and, and children and our responsibility to one another. And I say this to you, you can't be the Christian that God wants you to be without being filled with the Spirit of God. Let me say it to you this way, you can't be the witness that the world needs without the filling of the Spirit of God. You say, how do we know whether I'm filled with the Spirit of God? In Acts chapter number two, they spoke the wonderful works of God. They were praising God. Ephesians chapter number five and, and, and following, you find this, that they were speaking to themselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in their heart. You say, what is it? You can tell evidence of whether you're filled with the spirit of God by what comes out of your heart and what comes out of your mouth. If we're praising God and honoring him and speaking out of a heart of gratitude, if we're speaking out of a heart of bitterness and brokenness and hurt and anguish, we're not filled with the Spirit of God. If we're speaking out of the heart of pride and arrogancy, we're not filled with the Spirit of God. You say, man, the world is in trouble. The world's in trouble. What it needs, listen to me, what the world needs today is the same thing it needed in Acts chapter number two. Spirit-filled believers speaking the wonderful works of God. 
You say, we're going to see 3,000 saved. I don't know whether we're going to see 3,000 saved or not, but I do know this as we go forth and preach in the power of God and with the Spirit of God that he will bring conviction to people's heart. I said to you in Acts chapter 2, what you find is an amazing thing. The Spirit of God came. The Spirit of God baptized the believers into the body of Christ. The Spirit of God filled the believers as they testified of the grace and the mercy and the praise of Almighty God. The Spirit of God empowered the Apostle Peter to preach. The Spirit of God brought men and women to the point of conviction when they have to decide what are they going to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. I'm afraid in our world today, what I said to you this morning, that we have learned to operate without the feeling of the Spirit of God. It's not some mystical thing that'll make you roll around in the floor and laugh, and, but it will fill you to praise God and testify of Him and witness to Him. It will give you boldness that you will not have. And don't miss this connection between the, that 10-day prayer meeting and obedience to the way of God and the filling of the Spirit of God. You'll find in just a little while, they were filled with the Spirit of God and they spake, the Bible says it this way, they spake the word with boldness. You know why we have such weak, anemic Christians? We don't have Spirit-filled Christians. You know why we have Christians that are blown away when the world says one thing against them? Because we're not spirit-filled. Spirit-filling, I'll say to you again, has more to do with control than it does content. And Jesus commands us, be ye filled. You can't be the husband you're supposed to be. You can't be the wife you're supposed to be. You can't be the child you're supposed to be. You can't be the parent you're supposed to be. You can't be the employee you're supposed to be. You can't be the witness you're supposed to be without the feeling of the Spirit of God. If you could do it on your own, he wouldn't have sent you another comforter. So that means every day we say, God, guide me. It means every day we have to say, empty me myself, fill me, control me. You say, what happens? You say, man, is it always, does he always control you? No, sometimes the flesh controls me. Don't be shocked. Sometimes the flesh controls you too. But what we have to do is ask God by his spirit to fill us and to use us. Does the world need men and women full of themselves? No. The world needs men and women full of God. Does your home need men and women full of themselves? No. Your home needs men and women filled with the Spirit of God. Does our school need people filled with themselves? No, our school needs children and boys and girls and young people filled with the Spirit of God. Hey, it turned the world upside down. Not in ourselves, but in his power. Let's pray together.